Um, we will go into our scripture reading for today, and I will be reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 25, and I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. This is the word of God. All right, First Peter chapter 1, verse 13 to 25. At times when you come across uncharted waters of life, whether that's moving to a new country. Anyone moved recently to this country? I like that. Um, starting a new job. Anyone starting a new job? All right, there we go, there we go. For some of us, it may be relational challenges, relationship with our children, relationship with the... <laughs> okay, raise your hand, all right? No more raising hands. It's going to get uncomfortable. Uh, challenges with our spouse, someone we love. Whatever storm or storms you may be facing today, our passage or the book, whole book of Peter reminds us we can always turn to the imperishable word of God. That's really the main thing that Peter wants to talk about in our section. We can always turn to the imperishable word of God. It's through the very word we find direction, purpose, and identity. Today we're in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 to 25. It's here. Peter says, hold on to the wisdom of God's word. Just as map steers sailors through the treacherous waters, in the same way God's word leads us through turbulent seasons or seas of life. But if you're just joining us, we are in 1 Peter. We are in the second part of our seven-part message through 1 Peter, which is a pastoral letter that was written by a man named Peter. That's why the, name, the book of the name is Peter. First uh, Peter, in mid-60s AD, uh, the letter addresses mostly non-Jewish Christians located in Roman province of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, whom were facing tremendous amount of persecution from the Roman government. And he writes to these churches all over the region, facing persecution, hardship, difficulties that we talked about last week to encourage, to, to, to give courage to these people. So 1 Peter 1, 13, 25, as it was read by our brother Daniel, three things from our text. First, 
Peter calls us to radically pursue life, radically pursue holiness. Second thing is living truth, the idea of imperishable truth. And third thing, he lands this message with the idea of the transformative truth. So radical pursuit, living truth, and transformative truth. The first, radical pursuit, if we start from verse 13. Peter begins the section with the transitional word, English teachers here, transitional word, therefore, which means we have to pay attention to the things that Peter was talking about in chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. And and really, we were there last week, and Peter was really, Peter was opening up this letter with this idea of living hope, not dead hope, not dormant hope, hope that is alive. And Peter says, the living hope is the motivation and the power for the life that God is calling you and I to live, the, the radical pursuit, the holiness, that's the word. And in fact, he begins the letter by referring to Christians as elect exiles. We talked about that last week. Chosen, set apart, to live differently. And again, God's chosen people, back in those times and also for today, we have been chosen out of the world to live differently from the world. And so to them, in verse 13, he says, Therefore, everything I talked about, the living hope that we have in Christ, that you have been chosen, you have been set apart, therefore, he says, prepare your minds for action. In Greek, it literally means to gird up the, loin, the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind, which is a complete very strange expression to most of us, this idea of pulling up or gird up loins of your mind. Now, that's going to distract some of you OCD people. So here, here we go. But for people back at the time, for us, it's like, what does that mean to, to gird up the loins of our mind? But people back in the time of the letter, all of them wore ropes. Men and women wore ropes. That was part of their culture. And whenever they were ready to do anything that's active, running, walking, right? Any kind of activity that's strenuous, they had to pull up their ropes. Because, you know, imagine trying to run with ropes. You can't run. They had to pull up their robes and tie it around their waist. So what Peter is saying is pull up the robes of your mind. And he goes on to say, be sober-minded, pursue love. You see, what Peter is calling, reminding his people and, and, and perhaps us is that by, that by this expression, by this strange expression, is that Christian life is not a passive endeavor. Christian life is not a passive endeavor. Through COVID and post-COVID, we, we realize that, actually. In the church, there are many people that like coming to church, that like to worship, that like to be in community. But through COVID, we realize what, this is not a passive thing. This text actually intentionality. It's not just habit of coming to church, habit of being in a community, habit of studying the Bible. It actually takes intentionality. It takes grit, the word that we're studying through as a community this year. This idea of remaining alert and aware like a great athlete or a soldier being on guard for battle. Past Wednesday, 6.30 a.m., what happened? 
this past Wednesday, 6.30 a.m., I woke up. I thought fire, fire alarm went off my apartment. I woke up, and I got this message. We all got this message from the, from the president. So, say something like, you know, get ready to run. Right? In Korean, I was like, okay, bad translation. But I was like, what, what is this, right? And I just found myself reading this message. And I was, for, for, about a, for about a good five seconds, I thought, what is going on? I'm like neighboring. I'm on CNN. I hear nothing. So I start brushing my teeth. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I got to wake up Lois first. And then I got to wake up the girls. I got to pack my car. And we're going to head down to Busan. Okay, we're gonna do, I'm, I'm thinking. I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I'm getting in this mode. Right? Because I'm like, what is going on? The message says, get ready to run. <laughs> That's what it says. It was like, what? Some of you guys are like, I didn't know what it was. I just went back to sleep. That's good. That's a blessing, not, not knowing Korean. But when I got that notification, like most of us, I was utterly confused and in shock. And I was just like, what is going on? And that experience, I mean, that, like Thursday, we, we just live life. Like Wednesday, we just did our thing, went to the gym and did all, right? But that experience quickly made me realize I was living in a country that is still at war. And friends, perhaps that's the type of alertness that Peter is calling all of us to take on by this phrase, prepare your mind. And and friends, every time you get up and you leave the house, every time you go to work, every time you go to school, what the text reminds us is that we are entering a battle. There's a battle that we're entering. Every time you come to church, there's a battle. As you're sitting here, there's a battle for your attention. You want to pick up that, that phone and start texting or start checking, start making plans. And that's what Peter's saying. Every time you engage, every time you walk as a Christian, there's a battle that we are, we are fighting. In verse 14, Peter helps clarify, battle against passion of our formal ignorance before we came to christ we had a certain way of living certain way of making decisions certain things we valued that battle still remains even after becoming a christian and peter continues in verse 15 a famous text many of us grew up hearing as he who has called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct verse 15 the one, who has called, the one who has called you is holy, be holy like him. You see, Peter's vision for holiness is very different from my grandma's or your mom's. Perhaps you grew up in a very Old Testament home where they would demand holiness. But Peter's vision for holiness is a little bit different. It's not simply a list of do's and don'ts. I remember first time coming home, I got earrings. I think I was in high school. My dad literally opened the door and he closed the door. He said, okay, you're moving out. Right? There are things you do in our house. There are things you don't. You don't get earrings without talking to me first. Right? These rules. But yet Peter says instead, he says, holiness is not simply keeping set of rules. There are rules that you need to keep in the house to, you know, to stay in the house. No, he says the one who has made us, the one who has saved us, the one who has invited us in to be in his kingdom, because he is holy, we ought to imitate him. True holiness that Peter talks about here is a reflection of the character and nature of God himself. Think about it, Genesis 1. Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. 
as those who are made in His very image, it only makes sense that now as those who have been redeemed, as those who are in the process of becoming more like Him, it makes sense. That's holiness that Peter is talking about, becoming more like our Savior. So really, verse 13 to 15, it sounds like a demand that Peter has for all followers, but it is not a demand. It is an invitation. Invitation sounds better, isn't it? An invitation to turn away from our old ways of life unto the new life that Christ has invited us into. Yet in our pursuit of holiness, we can quickly fall into the trap of self-righteousness. In the church, there are a lot of self-righteous people. I've been there. I, I still go there. And, and whenever I, I think about this idea of holiness, there's this trap of falling into self-righteousness. Um, we can quickly fall into that. It's because on the outside Self-righteousness and holiness, they look very similar, eerily similar on the outside. But in the inside, it's completely different. John Stott, John Scott, John Stott, a great theologian, pastor, he says the greatest hindrance to holiness is not actually our sinfulness. It's our self-sufficiency, relying on our own ability to live rightly. You see, self-sufficiency or self-righteous person, their focus is always on one's perceived moral superiority compared to the others, which makes us very proud. When we're self-righteous, we become very proud because we're like, oh, at least I'm not like this person, or at least I am better than this person. We become judgmental, even condescending towards others. Holiness, on the other hand, that's self-righteousness. Holiness, on the other hand, is primarily focused on one's relationship with God. In fact, holiness is always rooted in the nature of who God is. That's what Peter says. Just like God, you're made in the image of God, imitate Him. And this pursuit involves conforming to the character of Christ through the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. Last week we talked about the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in each of us. And one of the works, one of the wonderful things that Holy Spirit does in us, as He abides in us, is He shows us Christ. He, speak to, he speaks to us what Christ, who Christ is and, and, and conforms us to His image. You see, self-righteousness requires that we take control, whereas holiness requires that we first surrender. Very different. Surrendering ourselves, again, to the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. How are you guys doing in in this area of self-righteousness? Because I I think the challenging about being self-righteous is we are oftenly blinded by our own self-righteousness, Right? I think Pastor Tim Keller said this one time. He said, you know, the hard thing about pride, if I did a workshop on sexual addiction, if I did a workshop on jealousy, a bunch of people will show up. Pastor Keller says, if I did a workshop on pride, nobody will show up because everybody thinks they're not proud, right? But here are some markers. Here's some things for us to think about. Let me just describe a picture of a self-righteous person. 
and to see, to see how you're doing in these areas. A self-righteous person displays, first, excessive self-importance. They have, an, they have an inflated sense of their own worth and importance. They're often dismissive of others. They have a hard time listening because they often consider themselves intellectually, morally, and socially superior. There's a need for dominance. Need, for dom- to, need to dominate. They have a strong desire to assert dominance or control over others. They dominate conversation, decision-making, and fail to take input from others. You're like, oh, I, I know a person. That's my boss. That's my, that's my child. That's my spouse. But perhaps that's, some of it is us. In our pursuit of holiness, we can display some of these characteristics in fact peter says this is how most people when you think about these lack of empathy closed-mindedness difficult difficulty accepting criticism i mean i i could see myself in this right the way i deal with our staff the way i deal with my own children the way i work i i could see myself in displaying some of these things or a lot of these things and peter is saying this is how most in the world of function. This is how most in the world carry, carry about their business. Yet because you are an elect exile, that's earlier part of the chapter, you are elect exile, you have been called to live differently. To verse 17, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed with perishable things, but not with perishable things, but with precious blood of Jesus Christ. So what Peter is saying is it's his life, it's his body, his blood not only washes us clean, but it also transforms you and I into his own image. It's the blood that not only washes us, it's the blood that also continues to transform you and I. You see, holiness is not simply living with our Christian conviction. No, no, no. Don't think, oh, holiness is just living with Christian conviction. Even if I'm among non-Christians, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make everyone know that I'm Christian. That's not holiness. It isn't simply ability to persevere, even though that's important. We're talking about grit. It's not simply persevering our Christianness in a non-Christian environment. Or having clear moral compass. Uh, Everyone else is going to do something illegal. I'm going to do something that's right. And I'm going to let everyone know I'm not doing anything illegal. All those things are part of it. But at the core of holiness, it is becoming more like Christ. It is becoming more like our Savior. If you think about Jesus, Jesus, he never had this inflated view of himself. Jesus did not consider himself morally or, or, or spiritually superior than others. Jesus did not try to take control over his life. He gave away control. He had deep empathy. So friends, our pursuit of this radical living, this radical pursuit of holiness begins at the riverbank like we talked about last week. When you and I surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit's transformative power, holiness is not simply achieved in a day, right? You could do it today and you might fail tomorrow. 
You might do it tomorrow. You might fail the next day. It's a journey. It takes time. Just like the living hope, this pursuit of holiness is also alive where we continue to mature and grow. But again, it begins at the riverbank as we as we're rooted in Christ, as we're rooted in the image of who God is. Amen? That's holiness. Uh, Second thing, living truth. Verse 23 to 25, this idea of imperishable word of God. Along with the transformative power of the Spirit, along with being at the riverbank as a tree planted by the streams of living water, receiving from the image of Christ, we also have the word of God. Peter says you also have the, the living word, the eternal word, to guide, to direct, to reshape who we are. P- Peter borrows words of Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 to 8, to illustrate this beauty of the, the eternal nature of God's word. He says, everything in the world will, will fade. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like flower of grass. Flower is beautiful for a moment, but next season it's gone. Grass is there for a season, and then it's gone. Verse 25, but he says, the word of the Lord remains forever. The word of the Lord remains forever. What Peter is saying through Isaiah's words is that all glory, all human beauty, brilliance, splendor, or fame... As the grass withers and the flowers fade, so those things die. So man's glory and greatness quickly disappears. So what Peter is saying is don't root your life on whatever you can possess, whatever you can gain, whatever, you, whatever title that you may have, but root your life, root your faith in the imperishable word of God. In verse 23, he says, it is the seed of life. The word of God that's imperishable, that will not fade. It is the seed of life sown in our hearts to create new life. The word of God, when he enters us, it creates new life. In Psalm 33, 6, 9, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. The starry host by the breath of his mouth. Right? There's, there's this power, there's this eternal power in the word of God. In, in, a, in a world filled with uncertainties and disappointments and challenges, we find lasting hope in the unchanging word of God. Peter says, don't look anywhere else. I know you're struggling. I know you're worried. I know people are taken into prison. People are losing jobs because of their faith. Hold on to the word of God. It will not shift. It will not change. It's the most powerful. Peter's saying it's the most powerful anchor that can hold us in the most furious storms of life because Peter is speaking to people that are struggling, that are going through real stuff, real challenges. And he says, don't forget, yes, you have the Holy Spirit, but also you have the Word that could create new life. Psalm 119, the, the longest chapter If you're going to start Bible reading, don't start at Psalm 119. You'll give up. Psalm 119, 105. It says, God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. It has this power to illuminate our way, guide our decisions, lead us to life of purpose. 
This is why, when you think about it, Satan would want nothing more than to keep God's word away from Scripture. We're too busy. We've got too much going on. Last thing Satan wants is God's people to be committed to his word. So Satan loves it when we do daily verse on our Bible app. Daily, one verse, we can do it, yay, but not Bible reading. He loves it when we can cherry pick the passages we love, Jeremiah 29, um, whatever passage you love, but not comprehensive study of the text and going through the commentary and doing the hard work of studying. And you know, in my pastoral counseling, when I, when I talk to people that are struggling, number thing, number, one, of the, one of the main things that people ask is, God, I don't know what, I mean, not God. Simon, I don't know what, that, that would be very wrong. Simon, I don't know what God wants me to do. I, I don't really understand God's will for my life. I don't know where God wants me to go next. I don't know what God really wants from whatever I'm facing today. And, and, and I tell them, you have, I don't even have the physical Bible. You have the, the Bible app. You have the Word of God. We don't even have physical Bibles. That's not even a thing anymore. But we have the Word of God. And Scripture says, it is the lamp unto our feet and the light that guides our path. In order to truly know God's will over our life, read Scripture. Start from the book of John if you don't know where to start and just start reading. Right? Let God's word guide you because truth is here. And Peter says it's, it's imperishable word. It's eternal word. It will not fade. It will not fail. It will not give up. But in order for you to be able to use it, you gotta, you got to pick it up. you got to open it. you got to be committed to it. you got to be intentional about it. Biblical illiter- illiteracy in, in the church, I mean, it, it's, it's unbelievable, right? The, the people now, 10 years ago, what we thought was a common knowledge, if we quoted Isaiah, if we quoted a, pa- a book of the passage, people were like, yeah, I know that passage. But now, I don't know. I think it's, it, it, we, we are in danger of becoming, more, we're in danger of losing something that's precious, you think about pastors in seminary, seminaries, it used to, you know, when I went to school, a small seminary in, in Korea, 12 years ago, we had like 60 students. Now there's 25, and not all of them graduate. And less and less, there is this desire and challenge for us to get in the Word and study the Word. But guys, if you think about it, there's so many resources, like don't just hear from me. Don't just hear from your community group leaders. There's, there are commentaries online, right? Pay for some. Y'all, y'all buy Starbucks coffee. Commentaries are like 12 bucks. Right? If you want to study through John, get a commentary. It will really help. There's so much wealth, so many sermons, so many podcasts that are available to us. We just won't do it. When, it, when we were preparing, one of our uh, leaders, he asked me, Pastor Simon, could you give a practical advice on how to, how to remain in the Word? Well, here's a practical advice. Just start reading. Start getting into it, right? Pick one chapter a day and read it in the morning before you do anything else. There's a very practical advice. Because at the end of the day, 
you're going to want to open up your app and watch Netflix, okay? In the morning, do it in the morning, all right? Was that practical enough? All right. <laughs> Lastly, the transformative truth. This is where we're going to end our, our time. Verse 25, he continues. There's the imperishable word. And verse 25, he gives definition to, to what, what this imperishable word is. Verse 25, it says, This word, which is imperishable, is the good news that was preached to you. The Greek word that Peter uses to describe the good news is euangelion, which is the message of the salvation, how people came to know Jesus. So Peter says, not just teachings of Old Testament, not just Jesus' sayings and teachings, but most importantly, his life, his death, and his resurrection, that which is the ultimate expression of God's love and grace and redemption towards humanity. Friends, it is through the gospel that our own self-righteousness is dismantled, shattered by the truth it reveals. The gospel serves as a constant reminder that no amount of religious activities can grant us righteousness before God. Instead, it humbles us by revealing our inability to save ourselves. The gospel tells us you cannot save yourself. Pharisees, you cannot save yourselves. The gospel emphasizes that salvation is only, only a result of God's gracious gift to us. And righteousness that God desires, holiness that God desires, this radical pursuit that God desires can only be obtained by placing our trust in Jesus. And friends, it is the gospel that liberates us, assuring us that our standing before God is not based on our performance, but on the completed work of Christ. And that's why I think Peter makes sure people understand that the word I'm talking about, verse 25, is not just simply the Old Testament text, but it is the gospel. It is euangelion. Verse 18 and 19, this is where we'll end. Remember that those who are in Christ, who are ransomed, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with imperishable blood of Christ, Friends, what Peter is saying is you and I, we have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. And the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in each of us. And yes, that doesn't mean we won't face any setbacks. That doesn't mean we won't have troubles and challenges and storms and things we don't like. But it does mean we have the imperishable gift, presence of God with us presence of God that cannot be taken away, presence of God that will be an anchor. Whatever you're facing, whatever challenges that you you are praying about right now, whatever thing you want to give up, whatever thing you want to move on from, know that God is in it. God is with you. And God's gift of his blood cannot be taken away from your situation. I don't know how to conclude this sermon. Read the Bible. I, I, I really pray we would begin reading his word because only through reading his word we can understand who Jesus is. Only by reading his word we can understand the, the amazing grace that we have received through Christ. 
Amen? I don't want to end. I want to, I want to do more, but I'm, I'm going to end now. Elder Charles is like, land a plane. I'm going to land a plane. But read the Bible, guys. Let's read the Bible together. If, if you have a hard time, okay, I'm going again. If you have a hard time, if you have a hard time reading, being disciplined, join a community group. Because we're studying through 1 Peter together. Join a community group, and we'll read the Bible together. We'll get in the Word together. Amen? And half of you guys are not in community group, all right? So we got to do it. Let me pray. Let's pray. Very awkward co- uh, conclusion. Uh, Lord, we are forever grateful for the Word you gave us, God. And Lord, we repent. We repent of our arrogance. We repent of our pride. We repent of taking something so precious and abusing it, not using it, treating it like it's some kind of fortune cookie where we can just turn and say, oh, Lord, we need answers, so I'm going to turn to my favorite passage and, 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 and try to get encouragement from it. Lord, we repent. You gave us your word. You gave us your character. You, you made us in your image. You, you went before us and you've, you've shown us Jesus, the word in flesh. So, so Lord, we pray there will be a, a renewed sense of fear and joy and excitement as we Open your word as we come to your word. Father, we pray against distractions for Mark 4 talks about all these distractions. When we open your word, there will be distractions from Satan. There will be distractions from things of this world that we love. There will be distractions from the things that we treasure. We pray against those things. That as we open your word and as we eat from your word, that you would would nourish our souls. You renew our spirit. You will strengthen us once again. Thank you for this wonderful reminder. Uh, we thank you, Jesus. Just in we pray.